Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox. I'd like to welcome you to the FCPA Compliance Report, episode 418. First, have you ever thought about starting your own podcast? You wanted to talk about something in the compliance or compliance-related field, but really had no idea how to get started? Take a listen from our sponsor, One Stone Creative. If you are enjoying this show, you might enjoy hosting your own. As an expert in your field, you have skills, knowledge, and insight that can help you expand your practice, meet new people, and create amazing content to share with the world. In as little as two hours a week, you can dramatically change how you promote, fill, and position your business, and One Stone Creative can show you how. Learn more at onestonecreative.net. Today, I have back with me Joel Androphy. Joel is a principal at Androphy and Berg. We talk about the Federal Claims Act. We talk about uh, Joel's experience as a uh, Federal Claims Act plaintiff. We discuss key TAM lawsuits. We take a look at procedurally what steps a whistleblower needs to take. We consider why it's so important to retain counsel, what happens at trial, and what happens when the government steps in to take over the case. It's a fascinating exploration of an important topic. The FCPA Compliance Report is a part of the Compliance Podcast Network. Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox, back for another episode. And you are in for a very large treat today because I have with me Joel Androphy. Joel is a partner at Berg and Androphy here in Houston. I've known Joel, uh, I don't know how long, but uh, quite a while. He is one of the top civil and criminal defense lawyers in this city. Joel, uh, first of all, uh, thank you for taking the time to uh, uh, visit with me today and welcome back. Thank you, Tom. Uh, Joel, uh, I wanted to visit with you today about your work and expertise in the area of uh, federal whistleblower claims, specifically or focusing on the defense contractor. I was wondering if you could uh, uh, just tell us what's the role of the whistleblower, what's the role of civil litigation in helping the government uh, prevent fraud, waste, and abuse by defense contractors? Well, the, um, there's a statute called the False Claims Act, and it has a provision in it that allows whistleblowers, people that are currently or formerly working for companies, to report a fraud to the government. And at the same time, they're reporting the fraud, trying to correct the problem to make sure the taxpayers aren't cheated. They can also recover a reward for their time and effort. Because a lot of times their efforts to try to uh, uh, report a, a corporation for fraud are met with a loss of a job or lost opportunities in their field, and they're going to need the uh, recovery financially in order to transition perhaps into a different uh, area of employment. But the False Claims Act gives people that are working for defense contractors an opportunity to monitor what their employers are doing. So the employers need to be aware, if there's employers listening, the employers need to be aware that each of your employees could be reporting you a fraud. Uh, And they do it in several different ways. Uh, They look at emails. They report emails to the government. They report, they, they, some of them actually are wearing wires. Uh, that they have tape recording devices that they play while they're at the corporation. So if you're working for somebody 
and they tell you to do something that is seems to be inappropriate. Like if the government orders one part and the company decides that we're going to not comply specifically, we're going to get a cheaper part, not what the government, not what we represent to the government we would get, but something that is less expensive or maybe the quality isn't there. Um, these are matters that the government needs to know about. The government needs to know about products that are not meeting up to U.S. specification and need to know about whether, for example, uh, freight charges are being uh, misrepresented, that they're telling the government they're going to pay X for freight and they pay something significantly less and pocket the difference. Work conditions are also part of uh, false claims. They may tell the government, for example, that we're going to do these repairs to these products or to this equipment, and they have to generally tell the government that they're, they have to certify to the government that as a condition of getting paid, that the conditions upon which their employees are going to work are compliant with OSHA so that the employees can be working in a safe environment. And if that's not the case, that's also a potential false claim to the government. Any attempt by a contractor to try to get paid for doing work, repair work, or any type of work or supplying products that doesn't fully comply with the contracts that they have with the government is considered cheating the government. And employees should make sure that their employers comply. I think it's a good idea for the employee, rather than to just to collect the information about what the employer is doing, I think it's important. It's not necessary, but it's important for you to tell your employer to do it right. Uh, because under the False Claims Act, there's certain provisions that give you uh, a right of recovery if you're retaliated against. So if you tell your employer you're using the wrong product, don't do that. The contract says use this, don't use this, and your employer fires you as a result of your complaints, not only could you have a potential False Claims Act case against your employer, but you will have a retaliation case also. And I'm going to explain in a minute, Tom, what procedures they go to, uh, because you just can't tell the government agents that there's a problem here. You have to file a formal lawsuit to be entitled to recover. And that's a uh, different subject that I'm going to get into in a minute. Right now, I'm just discussing what are the areas that you should be on the lookout for. So, uh, Joel. So, yes. Well, actually, that you 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 left, were about to lead into my next point is could you walk us through the procedure well you have to be very careful because if you and i've had this before where i've had people that have gotten together with the government reported for example misconduct by their corporation and the company gets caught up in a lawsuit with the united states or maybe criminal charges are brought and then the individual who's the whistleblower thinks he's going to get a recovery someday. And the answer is no. You have to file a formal lawsuit uh, against the, uh, the defendant, and it's filed under seal. What you have to do, you talk to the agent, and the agents will not direct you to a lawyer, but they may say you need to get private counsel. You have to go to somebody who specializes in this area. Don't go to somebody that's just a trial lawyer or a litigator. You have to go to somebody that specializes in the False Claims Act. And these lawyers are around the country. 
that, and they specialize in this area. They can do healthcare. Some of them do defense contractors. Some of them do securities, uh, whistleblower work. There's a variety of different types of cases, but many lawyers do a variety of that stuff. You tell the lawyer what's going on, and then what the lawyer will do is prepare a lawsuit naming you as a plaintiff on behalf of the United States. And that lawsuit will be filed under seal in a federal court. And during that time, the government, U.S. Attorney's Office, the prosecutors, and the Department of Justice will investigate your claims while they're under seal. So you will file the lawsuit. Your name will be on the lawsuit, but it's sealed so the defendant or nobody else in the public should know about it. The matter will be sealed, giving the government ample time to investigate. Now, that investigation may take six months. It may take six years. It depends how complicated the investigation is and how many resources the government's going to put to that investigation. Uh, and during that time period, nobody should know that you are the whistleblower uh, and you will be able to continue with your job unless your employer you know, suspects because you've complained a lot that you could be uh, complaining about him to the government. But you could be smart about it. You can be smart about it in the sense that you can be reporting and at the same time keeping yourself anonymous so that nobody knows at the company what you're doing. You shouldn't be bragging to anybody at the company what you did. You shouldn't be telling anybody. Once it's under seal, you really have to be closed mouth about it and not report it to anybody other than your lawyer. Now, the government, and I've seen this before in cases with defense contractors and in healthcare cases, I've seen the FBI and federal agents or the Department of Defense agents wire whistleblowers. So they send them into their job with a wire on in order to get the words of their employer about committing the illegal conduct. And that's very important. And it's risky. You know, the risk is you're going to get caught, you're going to get fired. But if that happens, there's provisions in the False Claims Act that allow you to recover for retaliation. So that if you're fired from your job, if you're making, for example, $50,000 a year and you're fired from your job because you have reported misconduct or you're fired because your employer retaliates against you because of what you've done, then the law provides you can recover damages for that. Now, nobody wants to be fired from their job, so nobody wants to be in a position of not only blowing the whistle and suing for retaliation. So my suggestion to people is you do what you're told to do. You uh, get wired up if need be. You collect emails, but you have to be very careful that you don't invade areas of the company that you don't have access to. So you can turn over emails and documents to the government upon which you have access to, but you can't go rummaging around the company and taking documents that aren't yours just because they support your claim. Uh, you, nor can you take attorney-client privilege documents. So you can't get information from lawyers at the company and turn those over to the government. They don't want to look at that stuff. So you need to consult with whatever lawyer you're engaging to pursue this case about what, number one, wh what should be my method of behavior. What should I do? What could I take? What could I show you? All these questions your lawyer should be able to spontaneously answer for you 
so you do everything correct. So you're not accused later of the same misconduct that your company is being accused of. But let me reiterate, Tom, that it's important for you to come forward because if you don't come forward and report the misconduct going on the company, someday if somebody else reports it, you could be to blame. So if you were doing things that were inappropriate at the company only because your employer told you to do this, the supervisor said, put these parts in here or do this or cover up it or don't comply with this, and somebody else, one of your co-employees reports it, then you can be caught in the middle of it. So it's important for you to be the one initiating the complaint to the government rather than somebody else doing it uh, for many reasons. But that is first and foremost important because you don't want to be blamed for the company's misconduct. Because I promise you, if the company did something wrong, they're going to tell the government that it was an isolated incident or that they had bad employees doing things. These weren't corporate uh, mandates. These were just renegade employees that were doing things inappropriately. I promise you employers will blame the employees unless you go to the government first and complain about the misconduct because in that sense, a strong message to the federal government that the employer is doing something wrong and you're complaining about it. Joel, uh, what is, uh, what's your experience as a trial lawyer in these cases? Is the, are these things that really incite and inflame the jury? Do judges really uh, uh, hold companies to, to task for uh, their illegal acts, if any, or, are, or is it a different direction? Well, you, the juries you deal with in this area, first of all, it depends on what part of your country you're in. Some parts of the country are obviously are more pro-whistleblower than others, but overall, jurors uh, should be upset when, they're, when a corporation is basically taking money out of their pocket. We all pay taxes, and the government, if they're paying a defense contractor money for uh, – it could be money for overseas. It could be money to take care of our troops overseas or to uh, guard our troops overseas, monitor our troops overseas, provide products to our troops overseas, provide food to our troops overseas. Jurors get upset because if the government's cheated, then basically – their taxpayer money has been – they're cheated out of their taxpayer money. We expect when we pay taxes, the money is going to be spent for the good, not because somebody's cheated the government. So these things should inflame jurors about this type of misconduct. And this type of misconduct not only leads to civil charges, but could also lead to criminal charges. So, you know, your employer, the corporation, or the officer's, uh, of the corporation could be charged criminally for their misconduct. And jurors obviously don't, again, like when the government's cheated because, in turn, it's their money that's their taxes may be raised because of it. Uh, it's like in the area of Medicaid and Medicare. Uh, the costs are going up a lot. But people don't realize there's so much cheating out there by different corporations that if the government had better control over Medicaid and Medicare costs, we could probably save billions of dollars. And I'll repeat, billions of dollars. Billions of dollars go to waste because companies out there uh, have defrauded the federal government in different contracts. Uh, we would save an enormous amount of money if there were more whistleblowers out there reporting this misconduct to the federal government.
because the government just uh, can't find out about this. They need the informants, they need the whistleblowers to report this. Otherwise, it'll get you know uh, unnoticed, and nobody will ever do anything about it. So it's important for everybody, all your listeners, to understand that if you're working in the field of defense contracting, you're working in the healthcare field, you could be working uh, in, in any field that does business with the government. Make sure that your employer is doing things correctly. If not, you have an opportunity to report your employer. But again, make sure you file a lawsuit. If you don't file a lawsuit, you will never receive any money. I'll give you an example. A couple of years ago, a couple of uh, doctors came to me, a foreign-born doctors came to me because they had reported uh, fraud by their employer of about 40 or $50 million of Medicare and Medicaid fraud. And they, the doctor that they had uh, complained against had been indicted, and the government retrieved $40 million from the doctor in his bank account. Well, the two African-born doctors recovered nothing because by the time they came to me and by the time we filed the Ketam lawsuit, which it's called, it's called a Ketam lawsuit. That's the same thing as a lawsuit filed on behalf of the federal government to collect money from which the government has been defrauded. But by the time the doctors came to me and we filed the lawsuit, the government had already collected the $40 million. So they were too late. They should have come earlier. They didn't know that. And most people don't know that they need to come and complain and file a lawsuit before they start telling the government too much uh, because you won't recover the money. It doesn't seem fair, but that's the law. You can tell the government about it, but you better be prepared to file a lawsuit very quickly before the government starts trying to collect the funds. Generally, it takes years to investigate, so I wouldn't panic over it. But if you're going to tell federal agents about some fraudulent conduct, you better be prepared to go to a lawyer fairly quickly so that he can get a lawsuit on file to protect your rights and allow you to get a percentage of the recovery. So, Joel, what happens when the government makes a decision, if, if I'm phrasing this right, to take over the case or to somehow become involved? Well, if the government makes the decision to take over the case and become involved, then you know, you're, the government becomes the, uh, the, the plaintiff in the case at that point in time, trying to collect for its own benefit, and then it would reward you. You get, a whistleblower can get between 15 and 25% if the government intervenes in the lawsuit because they feel that you've done a, a good job in presenting your case. If the government declines intervention, it doesn't mean you don't have a good case, it could mean a lot of things. It could mean the government just doesn't have the time. It doesn't have the resources. And that's surprising to a lot of people. They think that the government has tons of lawyers. They don't. They, they have a very limited number of lawyers in Washington and throughout the country. Uh, as a matter of fact, I think our office here in Houston has more lawyers doing this type of work than a lot of U.S. attorneys' offices around the country. And they can't take every case. So they allow other lawyers and law firms they feel comfortable with to proceed with the cases. If that happens, your reward goes from between 15 and 25 percent to 25 and 30 percent of the recovery. So your recovery could almost double if you're doing it without the government 
so the statute works in, in, in various different ways, but the ultimate goal is to collect the funds. The government will recover the majority of the money, but the whistleblower and his lawyer will recover a significant portion because a lot of these cases involve a significant amount of money. These so why, cases, why, why do you find the defense industry or defense contractors uh, are problematic in this area? Because it's easy to cheat. It, the government has very little oversight. And I've talked to Department of Defense uh, investigators, and a lot of times they rely upon the, uh, the defense contractors to be honest. They don't have an auditing system. Not every contract is audited uh, with precision, and they rely upon the good faith of the people they deal with, which is pretty naive. Uh, and unless there's somebody inside the company that reports it, I'd say 95% of the fraud cases will go unnoticed. So whistleblowers into the area of defense contractors are the ones that bring most of the cases and allow the federal government to recover what funds they lost uh, in the in the contractual process. Because they need insiders. Informants are very important. You know, they, we've always heard about informants in the area of drug dealing, how the government relied upon informants to uh, bring criminal activity to their attention. Well, it's the same thing in uh, non-drug cases, healthcare, defense contractor, even securities fraud cases, and even IRS cases involving taxes. And let me talk about those two in a minute. Unlike the False Claims Act that has provisions where you file lawsuits to recover uh, money that was the government was cheated out of in the area of defense contractors in the uh, in the healthcare Medicaid Medicare area. Unlike that, in the securities area, if a corporation is cheating someone with regard to cheating investors, misleading investors, committing security act violations, you don't file a formal lawsuit on behalf uh, of the government against the defendant in a securities case. What you do is you file what's called an administrative claim, and you file the administrative claim with the Securities and Exchange Commission complaining about the uh, securities fraud and the misconduct by the employer. And there's several conditions upon which you have to follow to do that. But again, you've got to get that on file before the government starts in collecting any money because of the of the fraud. So like the in the TTAM and the False Claims Act area, you have to not only tell the government about what's going on, you need to get a lawyer to actively file an administrative claim uh, to do it. And it's much different because in the area of defense contractors in the healthcare industry, you're actually filing a lawsuit on behalf of the United States so that there's more oversight over the uh, process to make sure you recover your money. In the area of the, in this area of securities fraud, uh, for example, it's not a lawsuit; it's an administrative claim. So that if you file a complaint about securities fraud, let's talk about uh, foreign corrupt practices, uh, which is Tom's area of expertise. If a company that you work for is involved in foreign corrupt practices, whereby what they're doing is they're engaging in misconduct and dealing with 
uh, investors or partners in foreign countries paying bribes uh, to get business in foreign countries. If they're engaging in that type of activity, that would be considered to be a, a fraud case by the Securities and Exchange Commission that they will investigate because it's misconduct by the corporation uh, with regard to uh, its its behavior. And uh, you would file that uh, administratively with the Securities and Exchange Commission and say to them, for example, that my employer is paying bribes to foreign officials uh, to get business in these countries. And that, you know, I want to report this. And what if the SEC takes your case, they will, with the FBI, investigate the case to determine the merits of it. They will, they may even wire you to talk to people at the company about what's going on. So they have direct communications from people at the com company as to what uh, they're saying about this. They'll want emails, they'll want information to be able to substantiate a case against the company. But the difference is there's no lawsuit. It's an administrative claim filed by the SEC. And what I don't like about it is it gives the SEC total oversight as to whether or not they're going to reward the whistleblower at the end of the day. Unlike the uh, cases involving the defense contractor business or in healthcare, where you actually file a lawsuit, there is at least a judge that's monitoring the activities of the government that will intercede if there's some unfairness in paying you your reward. Uh, and the judges will monitor the activity of a court case, that there's nobody monitoring the activity of a, an administrative case with the SEC, so that you have to have good lawyers that are going to be actively involved in making sure that the SEC fairly treats the whistleblower in the process. And although you could go to the SEC uh, administrative law judges and complain, it's not as fluid a process as the False Claims Act is with regard to dealing with defense contractors and uh, healthcare companies. And in the area of uh, tax whistleblowing, it's even more of a, what I call a black hole because you file your reports with the tax whistleblower office. You may never hear anything from them. It's like the SEC, unless you get aggressive. Because unless you complain to them and keep approaching them about what's the status of my case, you know, you may get nothing. The government may collect money. In the case of the SEC case, they may collect uh, money on the uh, Foreign Corrupt Practices area of fraud. And the IRS, they may collect money based upon your reports. But whether they pay you or not could be a different story. A lot of lawyers don't like to pursue the uh, tax cases because they don't feel that the tax whistleblower office is fair in terms of paying whistleblowers. The SEC office has its issues, and a lot of lawyers are reluctant to pursue it because there's no court monitoring what's going on. So your lawyer has to be very aggressive in trying to pursue not only his case, but pursuing the remedies after. What I'm trying to say overall is that the SEC and the IRS don't treat people as fairly as they should. And that process needs to change to make sure that there's more transparency and there has to be some judicial oversight over the process because people give up a lot to report fraud. 
it's not that simple to come forward and report that somebody, your employer, is committing a crime. Most people are happy in their jobs. They don't want to disrupt their daily life. It's not disruptive, but for your average person that's not involved in litigation, it is. They want to have a comfort level with their lawyer, but they want to have a comfort level that the government's going to do the right thing and reward them later for you know reporting. The people that go into this stuff are the ones I find over the years, the whistleblowers that pursue this stuff are people that are want to correct the misbehavior of their company. They really want to make sure that this doesn't continue. Our reward is secondary, but they still want the reward. They want to be treated fairly by the government because they basically expose their family and their professional life to helping the United States out, and they expect the United States to give them cover later. So these are the things that lawyers could talk to you about. Joel, unfortunately, we're near the end of our time, but I was wondering if anyone wanted any more information about uh, you or the firm or your practice, uh, how could they do so? Well, they could go to our website, and uh, on our website, I have plenty of information about defense fraud, uh, healthcare fraud in our section on our website, uh, bafirm.com. That's Bergen and Trophy Firm.com. And I have a section there on our practice area called Ketam Litigation. And in that area, they can read a lot about what the False Claims Act is, what the Ketam provisions are. And the Ketam provisions basically are the provisions that allow the whistleblower to recover for the fraud reported to the government. They can get that on our website or they call me at the office. I will take phone calls that come in asking me questions about this area, 713-529-5622. But the best is to go to the website, look at the website, and send me an email about the problems. There's a contact form we have on the website that people will fill out. They complain. They'll give their name. Everything will be confidential. They'll give their name, their phone number, their email tell us about the fraud, who it's against. And I promise you within 24 hours, I will, or somebody in my office will be getting back with you either to set up a meeting or to find out more information, Tom. Well, Joel, thanks. In terms of making sure people are satisfied with uh, when they communicate with our office. Well, Joel, thank you uh, for taking the time to visit with me. And I look forward to uh, continuing the conversation. Thank you, my friend. Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox again. I'd like to thank you for listening to this episode of the FCPA Compliance Report. As I said in the intro, I'm uh, looking for new podcasts. If you're interested in a podcast, producing your own podcast, and having a place to put it on the Compliance Podcast Network, please give me a shout. I hope you'll join me again next week for another episode of the FCPA Compliance Report. This has been a production of the Compliance Podcast Network. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.